Alan Hirsch Advisors, creating aha moments, presents Aha Business Podcasts. We provide opportunities to discover information to help you run your business and guide your decision making. The more you know, the better decisions you make. For more information, log on to alanhirschadvisors.com. I'm your host, Alan Hirsch. Uh, welcome to today's podcast. My guest is uh, Eric Steiner. He's a lawyer of the Eric Steiner Law Group, uh, uh, which specializes in bankruptcy and some other uh, law, but we're going to be talking about bankruptcy today. Uh, my first question to most guests is, what motivates you to get up in the morning and go to work? That's actually a question that I think about a lot, uh, and that changes pretty much every, every day. It's, it's a different motivation, but generally what motivates, motivates me about the practice of bankruptcy is, in particular is my ability to really help people when they are going through difficult situations. I, I do love the practice of law. I think it's a fascinating area. Uh, things are constantly changing. There's always more to learn. That's another thing. I love learning. So the bankruptcy is a complex area of the law and it allows me to keep challenging myself and keep learning. At the same time, it really allows me to help people through probably one of the most difficult periods that they're going to go through in their life. Well, having been through a bankruptcy in uh, my professional career with a family business, uh, a reorganization uh, 38 years ago, uh, uh, it, was, it was quite difficult at the time, but it was a wonderful learning experience. It really helped me uh, understand myself as a leader. Uh, and uh, we basically turned uh, lemon into lemonade and uh, proceeded to grow over the next 18 years, which was wonderful. I think that's a, that's a great story. It really illustrates the benefits that a bankruptcy can provide. You know, a lot, a lot of people, whether they're business owners, their families, they think bankruptcy is the end of the road most of the time. You know, they hear it on Wheel of Fortune or they hear it on Monopoly, right? Bankruptcy means you lose everything. That's not the case. Nothing can be farther from the truth. The purpose of the bankruptcy code is to allow businesses and individuals and families get a fresh start unburdened by debt. I think that's so important for everybody to know because there's, there's a stigma associated with bankruptcy. And I, and I come across this question a lot. I, you know, I feel like I'm not meeting my obligations. I feel like I'm giving up. And my perspective on it is completely opposite. You're not giving up. You are moving ahead for your future. You're doing the best thing for your business, for your family, for yourself. And this is just, this is, these are just laws that are there, just like any other laws. Why not take advantage of them when you need them? And, it, and the purpose of the bankruptcy code, it's, it's, it's um, one of the earliest Supreme Court cases. I think it was in 1934. They said the purpose is to give the debtor, person filing bankruptcy, a fresh start unburdened by debt. And it's right. such an important principle to really, really get across. Yeah, it is. And uh, so uh, how'd you get into bankruptcy law? I know it's, uh, 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 it's a specialty. So how did you get involved? It's a, it's a really great question. So I used to do commercial collections. I was the bad guy. I represented a large bank going after small, but small, medium-sized businesses and their guarantors. So most of the time, in the cases that I handled, they were in the um, $100,000 to $3 million range. At that dollar amount, 
you're, the business typically doesn't have any assets. If it's a restaurant, maybe it has some kitchen equipment. If it's a gas station, maybe they have a property. But most of the time, I'm going after the owners who guaranteed the loan. So we're going after their bank accounts, we're going after their wages, and I really saw the devastating effect that these collections can have on people. And when I decided to go out on my own, I also, also prior to going out on my own, I worked for a bankruptcy trustee who is now a judge. And I got some, I got a really good perspective on the benefits that bankruptcy can provide and the unique way in which a lawyer can be there for their clients. So when I went out on my own, I basically took anything that came in the door, but I fell in love with bankruptcy just because I could help people. And it's such an interesting area of the law. And that's, that's, that's why I decided to focus on that area. So how do bankruptcies work? Uh, I mean, there, there are several categories. So if you want to, in, in a broad base, uh, go through those. Yeah, so, so basically, bankruptcy doesn't really have a specific definition. Um, anybody can file for bankruptcy if they wanted to, no matter how much uh, money, money they had or assets they had. The question is, are you prepared for the consequences of what happens if you do it? Um, so bankruptcy just means you are, you get certain protections. When the case is filed, you get the automatic state. Automatic state stops all creditor collection activity automatically. There are severe penalties. If a creditor does continue to collect, uh, the judges and the courts take that very, very seriously. So that's number one. That's one of the most important benefits of bankruptcy, stock collections. So if somebody has, whether they're a business or a family, they have all these collections, they have bank account garnishments, wage, wage garnishments, closures in the house, bankruptcy stops all of that. So it gives the debtor some breathing room to reorganize their debts. Next, at the end, usually at the end of the bankruptcy, depending on the chapter, whether it's a business or a consumer, um, there's a the bankruptcy discharge. Bankruptcy discharge, is another very, very important part of bankruptcy. It's a court order that eliminates or restructures debt and also acts as what we call an injunction. Injunction is just a word that means um, court order preventing future action. So it's it the court order, this bankruptcy discharge order, eliminates and or restructures debt and also prevents collection of any of those debts that were that arose before the filing of the bankruptcy. So those, those two facets are really the, the, the sort of uh, bookends of, of a bankruptcy. Okay. But there are various categories. Uh, I, uh, some bankruptcies go to Chapter 7. Uh, some go to Chapter 11. Uh, uh, there's Chapter 13. I don't know what that one is. Uh, and there's a new bankruptcy code that deals with small businesses that took effect, what, last year? That took effect this year, February. February, uh, which is interesting because of uh, COVID-19, all of the small businesses in this country that unfortunately are closing, uh, yeah. the bankruptcy might be able to help them survive. Yeah, absolutely. The timing, I'm telling you the timing, it's called the Small Business Reorganization Act. It's sometimes referred to as the SBRA or, or e more easily subchapter five because that's what lawyers like to call it. Um, it. It went into effect at the end of February and it could not have been more appropriate timing. But um, there are different chapters. The most common chapters that we see are 7, 11, and 13. 
Seven can be used by a business or an individual or family. Seven is a liquidation chapter. Doesn't mean the debtor, let's say it's a family and they own their house and they own their cars. Doesn't mean they have to give up those cars. There's various ways that we advise our clients on how to protect those assets. So a seven discharges what we call all unsecured non-priority debt, typically credit cards, personal loans, things like that. There's also the possibility to get rid of certain kinds of liens in the chapter seven, but it's more limited. There's also the ability to restructure um, like a car loan. It's again, more limited. When we look at a 13, 13 is called the adjustment of debts for individuals with regular income. So as you can, that, that pretty much sums it all up. It's a payment plan, it's a three to five year payment plan. Somebody has income that they, let's say we go through their income and expenses, they have $1,000 left over at the end of the month. Well, they can't file a chapter seven because they have money to pay their creditors. So we have to file, in that case we file a 13 where they make payments to their creditors over time. The, the benefit of a 13 is, this was a much more powerful chapter than a seven, has a lot more advantages. And as, as a lawyer, we're able to propose a plan of reorganization in the way most favorable to our client. And then we deal with the objections of all the creditors and bankruptcy, work it out. But we have a lot more control over the process. Bankruptcy gives the debtor, the, pers the person or business that files is called a debtor, gives them a lot more control over their debt than outside of bankruptcy. So, so in, in, in 13, uh, do they, are they allowed to restructure the debts? Are they allowed to reduce interest rates or do away with interest rates, pay principal? If the principals of all the loans are $100,000, can they reduce those total payments to twenty-five dollars or $50,000 and pay it over time? There are, if, there are conditions that have to be met, but that can be done. Most commonly, we see that in a car. Um, somebody has a high interest rate on a car, they have a high principal balance, the car is worth, let's say, 50% of what they owe. So they owe $20,000, but the car is worth 10. So if we, get, if we meet the right circumstances in the chapter 13, we can lower the principal amount to the value of the car. So instead of paying interest on 20,000, let's say they're paying 15% interest on 20,000 and it's like a seven, seven year loan. Instead, we can lower the principal to the value of the car. So we can lower the principal to 10, lower the interest rate to prime plus 1%. I think it's about 4.5. So instead of paying 15% interest, we're only paying 4.5. And then we term it out over five years instead of over seven years. Or, or we can, if it's a shorter term, let's say it's a three-year loan, we could term it out longer. So that really, it really, it, that's such a powerful tool in and of itself. That's only available in a 13 and an 11 as well, but that tool can, can just, that restructuring takes these terrible deals that the clients have had to take because, because of their financial circumstances and gives them an, a, a really such a much better deal. It lowers their car payment. They can pay it off when they're done with their chapter 13. They're not stuck with that super high interest rate. So it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful benefit. So the 13 is for uh, individuals. It's not for businesses. Correct. Now, do, uh, uh, do uh, self-employed individuals fall under that 
or do they, because it's a business, do they go to chapter 11? That's a great question. That really depends on how the business is structured. So a lot of businesses are what we call sole proprietorships, where they haven't formed a separate legal entity like an LLC or a corporation. They're just operating it under their own name. In that case, with a sole proprietorship, the owner of the business and the business are one and the same. So let's say a client has, they got a, they got a commercial loan for their sole proprietorship, but they, they have issues paying it back. Well, let's say they finance, for example, say a dentist finances a piece of, a piece of equipment. Uh, they didn't form an LLC. They can file under Chapter 13 and get those benefits. Uh, if they formed a separate entity, in the eyes of the law, that entity is considered a separate person than its owners. So let's say, you know, you look at the J. Cruz, the Neiman Marcuses. Those are obviously the large Chapter 11s, but those are separate business entities that are filing Chapter 11 to restructure their debt. I want to talk a little bit about the small business, the subchapter five, because yeah. I think that, uh, unfortunately, I think that's where most of the businesses that, that are struggling in uh, uh, this coronavirus uh, situation uh, are going to find themselves in, because they can't, they can't pay their debts. Yeah, so that's a, that's a great point. So subchapter five, the purpose of subchapter five is to help a business debtor go through chapter 11 in a quicker, less expensive, less complicated process. Chapter 11, even for a small business, um, you're looking at a $20,000 retainer, um, probably $100,000 of fees throughout the case, possibly. And a lot of, a lot of smaller businesses can't afford that. Because, because chapter 11 is a very, very complex chapter, a lot of nuances and a lot of complexity. For example, in chapter 11, the debtor has to file what's called a disclosure statement. A disclosure statement has to meet certain requirements. It's got to essentially tell all the creditors in the court history of their business. I mean, this document can be 50 to 100 pages. There can be multiple versions. The court has to approve the disclosure statement, so there can be multiple court hearings creditors can object to the disclosure statement. So you, you can see how something like that can really, really rack up the cost and the complexity. Then there's a chapter 11 plan, which has to be approved by the court. The, the chapter 11 code has about 13 things that have to be met in order for the plan to be confirmed. And very, you know, that's just the beginning of the complexity. And then the creditors, in what we call impaired creditors, so if the debtor proposes a chapter 11 plan, to pay a creditor less than full, they're sometimes considered impaired. Those creditors have a right to vote. So you have to solicit votes from your impaired creditors. If you get 50% or, or over 50% of the votes, you can get the plan confirmed. Well, let's, let's, let's talk about this uh, when we come back from the commercial break. And when right. I do come back from the commercial break, uh, I'll continue the, the conversation with Eric Steiner, uh, lawyer of the Eric Steiner Law Group. Uh, I'm Alan Hirsch of Alan Hirsch Advisors, and this is AHA Business Podcasts. Hi, Rick Dempsey here. As a former Oriole and Series MVP, I know a lot about winning and championship teams. Today, I'm happy to tell you about my award-winning web design and internet marketing team, Adventure Web Interactive. 
For over two decades, many of Maryland's most successful firms have chosen Adventure Web as their strategic partner for web design and online marketing. I can tell you from using them personally, their search engine optimization and social media programs have saved their clients tens of thousands over the traditional pay-per-click digital agency. Visit AdventureWebInteractive.com and listen to what clients such as Hercules Fence, TriStar Electric, ABC Rental, Rhine Landscaping, Markdown's Office Furniture, and many more highly successful firms have to say. And don't forget to tell them Rick Dempsey sent you. Strengthen, protect, and preserve your retirement nest egg. Scott Garceau here for the Stephen J. Sless Group, Baltimore's reverse mortgage specialist. Reverse mortgages have evolved to become a viable retirement tool. Enjoy retirement without monthly mortgage payments, improve cash flow, pay off debt, and stretch retirement savings. Stephen and his team can offer strategies to make housing wealth work for you. If you're 62 or older, learn if a reverse mortgage could help. Visit ReverseBaltimore.com. An equal housing opportunity lender. This is not a commitment to last. Stephen J. Sless, NMLS 298581, PRMI, NMLS 3094. Uh, welcome back. Uh, my guest is uh, Eric Steiner, uh, lawyer of the Steiner Law Group. Uh, we're talking about bankruptcy. Uh, before the break, we were in the discussion about Chapter 11 and how it works. Do you want to continue that discussion? And then I want to get into uh, uh, what I think will be uh, a well-used uh, option for a lot of small businesses that uh, are having problems through the uh, uh, COVID-19 pandemic. So conti continue with your 11 and then we get into the five. Absolutely. So 11 is, like I said, a very powerful chapter, but it's such a complex chapter. When things are complex, that just means it takes more time. Because it takes more time, it's a lot more expensive for business owners. Um, the subchapter five cuts out a lot of the complexity. So I was talking about the disclosure statement in chapter 11 traditional chapter 11. The subchapter five says there is no disclosure statement requirement. It's built, it's built into the chapter 11 plan. In fact, the, the, um, the, there's like, um, there's certain forms like standard forms. The, the chapter 11 forms have a, a small disclosure statement built in for their plan. There's no, there's no form chapter 11 traditional plan, but for the, for this, for the subchapter five, there is. Subchapter five also appoints a subchapter five trustee. And the bankruptcy code says that the role of the subchapter five trustee is to assist the debtor to obtain a consensual plan of reorganization. So the debtor has to pay for the subchapter five's fees up to a point, but it's gonna be a hell of a lot less expensive than for example, in a regular chapter 11, you have something called an unsecured creditors committee in a, in a in a larger chapter 11. The debtor has to pay for their attorneys as well. So you're paying for the subchapter five trustees fees, but the purpose of the subchapter five isn't to bill, 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 and to milk the debtor for fees. So judges who are tasked with enforcing the, the, the purpose behind subchapter five can limit the subchapter five trustees. So if a subchapter five trustee, for example, wants to hire uh, a white shoe law firm that charges $900 an hour to hand, you know, represent him. I don't think a judge, judges, and there have been cases across the country, judges do not look favorably upon that and they can actually reduce the fees. 
So, you know, it may, it's, it's an untested chapter. There have been many cases filed across the country, but the whole goal of this thing is to make it easier for small businesses to, to file in so, chapter 11. So, so what, how do they define small businesses? So that's a great question. So, so there is a definition in most, so the regular subchapter five, really the, the biggest hurdle is that the debtor has to have right around, right around $2.7 million of debt. And there's a couple of other requirements, but generally that's it. The CARES Act, which was enacted like just a month and a, probably ten, a month and a half after subchapter five became law, increases that to 7.5 million for a year. I think it's March 31st, 2021, and right around that time where the CARES Act expires, where it has like this, what we call a sunset provision. So for, for the next, until, until next March, a business can take advantage of subchapter five if they have up to $7.5 million of debt. That can include so many more businesses than $2.7 million. Uh, that can include commercial real estate, firms who, who have um, mortgages and they have tenants and things like that. That really opens up so many more businesses to be able to take advantage of subchapter five. That's really, there also, there are certain other definitions of a debtor, for example, uh, under traditional chapter 11, a single asset real estate company is not able to file chapter 11, but subchapter five under certain circumstances allows a single asset real estate company to file. What kind of companies can file under this? And what are the provisions that make it uh, uh, much more financially viable for a smaller business to reorganize, to come out of it uh, stronger? So essentially it doesn't really make, they're, they're like most, most of your small businesses can take advantage of subject to five. So restaurants, gas stations, convenience stores, salons, spas, things that people that have really been impacted by COVID-19 because people can't go to these places or they're not, they don't feel comfortable going to these places and no one knows how long they're going to be closed or even if they're open, how are their customers going to return? Daycare centers, construction, small construction companies, you know, the, these, these are the kinds of things that can all take advantage of subchapter five. Subchapter five doesn't have that unsecured creditors committee. There's no disclosure statement requirement and it eliminates the voting requirement. Instead of voting, you propose a plan and the creditors, impaired creditors have an opportunity to object. So you don't have to solicit balance. Subchapter, and there's differences between what we call a consensual plan where your impaired creditors don't object or a cram down plan where you have objections of creditors and you're trying to do what we call a cram down. Um, and that, that can, there's significant differences between those two in subchapter five. Things like rent, they've got contracts for rent. They've got, uh, how does that get impacted by subchapter 11 or subchapter uh, five? That's a great question. So the Bank of Decode, it, it deals with rent. Uh, let's say a business has it's a restaurant. They have three locations, and only only one location is profitable, but they still have commercial lease obligations on the two other locations. They can a debtor can choose to reject or assume the leases. So for the two non-profitable locations, they can reject those, and instead of having 
outside of bankruptcy, if, if they didn't pay under a lease, they'd have to pay, it's a five-year lease, they'd have to pay, and they're two years into it, they'd have to pay for the remainder of three years, plus terms, fees, and costs, and things like that. The bankruptcy code caps that. I think it's about 15%, but there, there's a test that the bankruptcy code, uh, you can, you can, you can, uh, you can, go through that test, you can have a hearing in front of a judge to ultimately determine what the landlord is entitled to, but it's going to be a lot less than outside of bankruptcy. So if someone, so they have one location and the, I mean, they're in a mall, they have one location, uh, how can they reduce the, the lease? Can they accept it with, under new provisions? Uh, or do they have to accept it as is? Yeah, there's no there's no way for if the debtor wants to keep a lease, they actually let's say they're they're a couple months behind. They have a deadline by which they have to first elect whether they're going to assume or reject that lease, and then they have to actually pay the arrears within a certain amount of time. So if they want to keep that location, unless the landlord decides to voluntarily give them a break. They, they can't modify that particular obligation, unfortunately. Uh, it, it does vary depending upon uh, which, which leases they want to get rid of. Absolutely. It also varies on the kind of debt. So let's say it's a flower shop or in the mall, for example. Let's say they have um, um, uh, some sort of, uh, they finance something in the flower shop. Maybe... Um, uh, like a desk, I don't know. The they, fi finance, they finance the copier machine. Exactly, the copier machine. So they can, and then it's, it's a secured obligation, so if they don't pay, the creditor can take the copy machine, they can restructure that debt. So, or, or just another easier example, a construction company, they have a couple pieces of an excavator, a bulldozer, and those are all financed. They can, they can restructure those debts, just like that card that we talked about, lower, possibly lower the principal balance, lower the interest rate, term it out. Even if they are secured uh, secured loans? Yeah, I mean, that's only for secure loans that you can do that. Uh, uh, so, but, the, but a lease is different because a lease is for space. Correct. A lease is not a secured obligation. A lease is treated differently in bankruptcy uh, just because if they want to keep the space, they have to pay the lease. Okay. A little, a little different. Okay, so what, you know, in other words, you're trying to, they're trying to help reduce the debt. So the, the debts that have been put on hold when you go into chapter five, as the day you go in, those debts are put on hold until sometime into the future when you decide how much, what, and, and what, what happens to those debts? So eventually the court, there's going to be a confirmation a Chapter 11 plan, in order for it to be effective, has to be signed off by the court. That's called confirmed by the court. So it's got to be the requirements of the bankruptcy code. Again, creditors can object, etc. So if, assuming that everything goes as planned, you know, you have, let's say it's a consensual subchapter 5 case. The court says, yeah, it meets the requirements of subchapter 5. I can confirm this plan. Then in the plan, usually there's an effective date, let's say 30 days after confirmation, whereby the debtor begins making the plan payments, and that, that's when they would begin their, the payments under the, the plan. The, inter the interesting thing from a 
and this is actually more than theoretical, but um, a chapter 11 plan adjusts the rights of creditors. So let's say prior to bankruptcy, the rights of creditors were in the loan documents or in the commercial lease. The chapter 11 plan changes those rights and those rights are now governed by the chapter 11 plan. And same thing in chapter five. Subchapter five, yes. Subchapter five. Subchapter five is part of, is a, is a subchapter under ch chapter 11. Okay. So they can, they can agree to pay 10% or 20% or 50% of the, uh, uh, the debt that's due to non-secured creditors. Correct. So unsecured creditors, bankruptcy code also prioritizes debt and what we call general unsecured creditors, like those personal loans and credit cards and unsecured lines of credit. They're at the bottom and they're generally, we can, in a chapter 11 plan, the debtor can, has to, can decide there's different classes of creditors. So we can lump all the unsecured creditors, let's say class five at the bottom. And they get paid, let's say, a 5% distribution, a 10% distribution, et cetera. Or 40%, or whatever is agreed right. to. And that payment could be done over three years, five years, or whatever is agreed by the judge. Correct. Whatever and the judge it, signs off on. And, and in Chapter 11, it, by the creditors committee, will agree. Right. Uh, well, well, that's in the traditional 11. You'll have the unsecured uh, creditors committee who will obviously, you know, they want more for their... I, I, I this is this is <laughs> I understand, but uh, this is the, to get out of the chapter uh, five or chapter eleven, subchapter five. Uh, uh, you're taking a plan to the to the court. The creditors, if they ob don't object, whatever the plan is to pay it back over a period of time, it could be five years. Can it be as long as seven years? Right. So actually, the you can term out a secured debt over 20, 30 years in the chapter 11. So if it's, a, let's say, it's a 10-year loan with a balloon payment, you can say, well, I don't want that balloon payment. Let's just term it out, you know, another 20 years and have a 30-year term. So, but the, all of that can be done to help the uh, uh, debtor restructure or, in, in a lot of cases, reorganize their business so that they can be profitable, they have to, con in, in, through a uh, subchapter five, they have to pay their current uh, creditors on time during the chapter five, if I'm not mistaken. By certain, certain current creditors, so when it, that's a good question. So when it comes to secured creditors, um, if, if the secured creditor is going to be treated in, in the chapter 11 plan, they have to provide them something. It's called adequate protection. So realizing that the secured creditor has a right to their collateral, they want to make sure their collateral is safe and, and everything like that. You know, insurance has to be maintained, things like that. So that secured creditor is entitled to adequate protection payments before the plan is confirmed. Okay. Uh, and But the unsecured creditors, uh, they can be restructured, but once you file chapter 11 chapter 5a the ongoing uh business that you do you need to uh pay your new creditors you have the old you put aside you have the new creditors in the restruct reorganized business you must pay them on a regular basis well you must pay like for a business to run you ha it obviously has to pay certain things it's 
It's uh, got to have a landlord. We talked about that. It's got to sometimes if they have employees, they have to pay their employees. So that we call these first day motions where we ask the court, well, let's say they have, you know, $50,000 in a bank account. It's uh, and a creditor, secure creditor has a, we'll call a UCC. So they actually have an interest in that bank account. So what we'll do is we'll ask the court for a motion to use the cash collateral for the expenses of the debtor, for example, so they can keep their business running so they can get to a plan uh, reorganization that's confirmed by the court. Yeah, no, that, so, uh, and once they have a consummated and, con and uh, confirmed plan, uh, they can then pay whatever is agreed to to each of the category of creditors according to that plan over the specified number of years. Exactly. That's exactly right. So once once the plan is confirmed, that's generally when the debtor begins their plan payments, let's say 30 days after the effective date of the plan. Okay. Uh, is there anything else uh, that uh, the listeners should know about uh, bankruptcy? Yeah, uh, there is... Um, this is experts across the country, and in Maryland in particular, we're talking about the chief bankruptcy judge, the bankruptcy clerk of court, who, who oversees the statistics of bankruptcy filings. There is anticipated to be, in the next coming months, what, the bank, what, what all these experts have called a tsunami of incoming bankruptcies. And, and they, we believe that simply because the unemployment benefits, the extra additional unemployment benefits are going to are going to expire. That's at the end of the month. Right. There are more there are moratoriums on evictions and foreclosures. Those in Maryland are are I think there there's various ones. It's federal. There's the governor's moratoriums. I think each each court may have issued their own. Those are set to expire very shortly. Courts are reopening. So and there's there's a lot of people that that think. Oh, the mortgage companies gave me a forbearance, so I don't have to pay my mortgage for three months. Yeah, but what happens after that? After the three months, let's say the mortgage company says, okay, your, your mortgage payment is $2,000 a month. Now you got to pay $6,000 after three months. Well, what if they can't afford $6,000? There's no laws in place that say the mortgage company can't demand the full amount. So people are, a lot of people are getting into these things almost without realizing that I'm going to have to pay this back eventually. And in fact, my, my lender, my servicer, they have no obligation to help me with that process. So as those expenses hit, as, as, these, as foreclosures are started to be set, as evictions continue, as the unemployment benefits go out, I mean, these are like, these are sort of just like crutches that are holding people up. When you, when you take those away, I mean, the, the house of cards is going to come crumbling down. So you're looking for a tsunami of uh, uh, 13s and 5s? 13s, 7s, 11s, subtractive 5s, absolutely. All, all kinds of bankruptcy. Yeah. Well, uh, I hope our listeners can reach out to you if they need help. Uh, how can our uh, uh, listeners reach you? So you can visit our website, bankruptcy.md, and I would encourage our listeners to subscribe to our newsletter, we release that bi-monthly and it's, it, it, you know, we, we try to explain exactly the benefits that bankruptcy can provide. Uh, you can, you can uh, look us up on Twitter, at Law Steiner, Facebook, Steiner Law Group, LLC. And uh, uh, thank you very much for being the guest. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, my guest next week will be Kendra 
Parlock. She's the executive director of uh, NPower Maryland. I'm Alan Hirsch of Alan Hirsch Advisors, your host. To reach me, call 443-977-4500 or visit my website, alanhirschadvisors.com. You can listen to podcasts and past shows wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, I'm Alan Hirsch, and this has been AHA Business Podcasts.